feeling of weightlessness, fleeting and unbecoming, followed by a spinning, then a sudden sense of magnification, a violent disproportion, body in a ball crushed by the whole world while outgrowing it at the same time. Then the crash, a sliming chorus of screams, spark, inhuman growl, a high-pitched wail, and then everything stopped, and David Douglas Friedman could no longer recall his own name or the shape of things. Words, music, time. His body become a vehicle strictly for the expression of pain, unable to tell the difference between sleep and dream, an embarrassing memory from a good one. Shreds of conversation played through his mind, his mother's rage and plaintive whining, her martyrdom for the masses, the eight weeks she spent as his manager before a quote-unquote professional took the job from her exhausted hands. The life she made for him, what she sacrificed, him screaming back he hated this effing pop stardom. The sounds of Ron and Mindy's bodies slamming together, the suction, pistoning, the breath, hum, gasp, scream, the boy Doug dreamed of, the horrid kiss at the pancake house. Questions floating through his mind. Doug didn't know which he asked, which got answered. What does pansexual mean? At one point, he could hear the sound of helicopters. At another, his mother's voice again. Why the sudden interest in your father's identity? Because one should know that before dying. Did he hear her correctly? The beat of helicopter blades against the air. Product of a one-night stand with the former frontman of a hardcore punk band. The pity and the shouting. A helicopter pilot. The manager on the tour bus, chewing on someone's face and neck. The driver's scream. The collision. The rolling. His mother and the frontman. Jesus fuck and the murderers. Pictures all around him, useless words of wisdom welling up in his throat, lungs. Doug came in and out of life, an unhygiene blended with the antiseptic stink, a room full of people crowded around him, alternating between taking his picture and taking his vitals. He dreamed he'd become a dummy, a thing of high-quality plastic. Someone gave him a mohawk and then people came in. New fans, true fans, began writing all over his skin, and all that writing became tattoos. His mother couldn't visit, couldn't bear to see him in this state, even though she demanded the private room, the particular hospital, the proximity to home, to the house he grew up in. The television floated above his hospital bed, playing only cartoons, old, black and white, Mickey Mouse on a cross, loincloth, a tattoo of a heartbreaking with the word mom on it backwards and upside down. The sounds of medical machinery keeping him alive or monitoring him or both. Mouthful of metallic taste. Image of a half-dead Arab woman, glowing, eyes gray with wisdom beyond words. Dizziness, dark air, more memories or dreams came. The feeling of rolling, again. His younger self at the beach going under a wave, the held breath reaching its end, 
no sense of direction, a doctor's voice saying possible infection, a medicated whisper. Doug's own mind became a hush of useless wisdom suspended somewhere in his quick, sickening skin. Possible infection. We can't know for sure. How long ago did he die? When did he come back? How many weeks spent in a coma? In and out of life, of consciousness, as the TV screen blinked, spit, sputtered, and shouted shitty news. A bunch of girls his age and younger reportedly rallied for his health, his return to touring, and the anchor person tried hard to modulate her voice, make it the same serious, pseudo-objective tone as she spoke about the disease, global climate change, the President of the United States of America. He drifted back down, floating between coma and consciousness. Even in strictly human, non-spiritual terms, life stands in the face of chance a miracle. One out of 50 million sperm makes its way to the egg, fertilizes it, becomes a person. The likelihood of twins, less than half of 1%. Twins we never met before, separated by time and space in any scientifically acceptable explanation. Another thing entirely. Look at that. I can't see a difference between them, Larry said. The light in the donut shop, the lack of true sleep, the brain-blistering hangover all combined to make the scene appear that less real. Colson could smell himself. He needed a shower. He couldn't remember passing New York, only Bridgeport, getting on 91 in New Haven, telling him Jerry's in Middletown, what Google News told him. Then, what felt like seconds later, walking in. Seeing a version of himself sitting at the counter between two men. A third standing on the other side. An almost expressionless, weathered, East European face. Now, the miracle man in front of him. A few feet of air and disbelief between them. Their two bodies. Colson squinted at the what it all meant and what it could mean. Recent events, his recent behavior, proved his worst ideas about himself. Now, before him, a man who pulled the scales of delusion from the eyes of strangers, brought the dead back to life, and who knew what else? During his drunken drive north, Colson missed the news about the bite, the diseased woman in the hospital. Colson's mind spun. What could their resemblance, their possible relatedness mean? How does a man faced with both redemption and oblivion behave? Coulson could no longer recall what his drunken mind had expected, what that voice within wanted when it told him to head north, find the miracle man in Middletown. Did he expect a cure for life as he knew it, an erasure of self and absolution? The miracle worker came off his chair, got closer to Coulson, a small radio behind the counter played the worst kind of music for a headache. Nothing felt true or possible. What stood before him clearly came from some other world. A void. A lacking backwards. In that moment, as one barrage of noise ended and an oddly dull voice came on the radio to talk about what they just heard, Coulson could see what others could not. An embodied emptiness with bloodshot eyes. A sickness in the shape of a man. 
So instead of asking any of the questions that initially formed in his mind, Coulson shifted his gaze to behind the counter. The racks of donuts. Looked at the man with the weather-beaten face. Asked, what do you recommend? David Douglas Friedman dreamed a set of impossible numbers. Chasing, catching, eating their own tails, spinning out, turning into bugs and bursting full of blood. A painful itch spread through his body, his existence, blotting out his reality, worse than unrequited love or a lust impossible to release. His eyes opened on the scene, the private room in Middlesex he didn't remember arriving in. Snatches of memory, the rolling bus, moments before impact, the manager with blood in his face. How long ago did that happen? All he knew for certain he could fit into the body of a fly, a drop of blood. What he knew and what he dreamed. The itch combined with nausea. He writhed, fell out of the hospital bed, tore the IVs from his arm. The boy once called Doug Free ran out of the room.